Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Y'all, it's time for another episode of Small Doses. First off, though... Gotta shout out the Smart, Funny, and Black Lituation 101 tour because it's going down very soon, y'all. In less than a month, we hit the road July 30th through August 14th. We've sold out LA. We've sold out Philadelphia. We've sold out New York. We've sold out Atlanta. We've sold out our first shows in Dallas and in Detroit and in Chicago. And we're just looking to get Houston, New Orleans, and uh, St. Louis as excited as the rest of these cities. So if you have not bought your tickets, please go ahead and do so so that we can really show folks that this is the type of content that they want. If you are still like, what the hell is Smart, Funny, and Black? Go to our webpage, smartfunnyandblack.com. You can check out our About page, which has all like the background and how I created the show and what the show's all about. And then you can click on videos and they'll take you to our YouTube page where you can see videos about Smart, Funny, and Black and, you know, actual footage from the live show. So nobody should be wondering what it is because we done put it out there so you can know what it was. All right. So like I said, go to smartfunnyandblack.com and get your tickets to the Lituation 101 tour. Now let's get on with the show. Oh, actually, sorry. Want to also remind you, I'm going to be headlining in Sacramento next weekend. Yes, the 12th, 13th, and 14th, I will be in Sacramento at the Punchline uh, Comedy Club, hitting y'all with all these jokes. And, you know, a lot of people were like, you don't ever come to Northern California. You don't ever come. Yes, I do. I'll be in Sacramento, 12th, 13th, and 14th at the Punchline. And I'll be in San Francisco at Cobbs in September. All right, late September, 27th, 28th, and 29th. So I'm coming uptown. Okay, Callie, I'm coming uptown. Get your tickets. You can go get your tickets for Punchline at, um, actually, the ticket link is in my Instagram profile. So you can go get that right now, or you can go directly to their site, Punchline. Just Google Amanda Seal Sacramento. Now let's get on with the show. It's so funky. <laughs> What's up, y'all? It's a special edition of Small Doses right here. We have Lovey Ajayi, who is blogger, author, just dope woman extraordinaire, right here on Side Effects of Being Outspoken. And I actually have been on the first half of this conversation on Lovey's podcast, Rants and Randomness. So make sure you go check that out because this is a continuation of the conversation. And we're going to get into it right now with Jam Dropping. Jam Dropping. Jam Dropping. We're dropping on these hoes. <sighs> all right. First of all, shout out to everybody getting their Jam Dropping sweatshirts on our website where it has our store. I see people rocking their gem dropping sweatshirts and gem dropping tote bags. You know, just letting people know that we dropping on these hoes. You feel me? If you want to get yours, you can go to store.amandaseals.com and uh, you can get hooked up with a gem dropping toad, a small doses toad. And uh, we even have like different sweatshirts for like different quotes from the show. So it's a good sign. It's a good sign. But today, talking about being outspoken, our gem dropping is side effects of truth telling versus tactlessness. Amanda, what do you mean? You know when people be like, I'm I'm just telling telling the truth. And you're like, okay, yeah, but this wasn't the time to tell the truth. 
That is tactless. The reason this is important and it's related to being outspoken is because some people feel like there's no wrong time to tell the truth. And it's like, listen, not that it's not that there's no wrong time to tell the truth, but there is a wrong way to deliver the truth depending on the time that you tell them the truth. And there's just a fact associated with that. You know what I'm saying? Like, it just doesn't need to be like difficult. It doesn't need to be uh, acerbic. It doesn't need to be like backbiting. And I think that some people feel like if as long as they're telling the truth, there should be no problem. Sometimes, you know, part of being outspoken is not about just like saying everything. It's about knowing when it's time to say things. You know, truth telling is not about just like vomiting the truth up in everybody's goddamn face. It's about knowing when it's most poignant to be shared. The reason why my appearance on the Katy Perry stream with Caitlyn Jenner was so kind of like I think groundbreaking for folks was just because I delivered the truth in a way where it could not be undermined. And I did it in a space where it was very effective. You feel me? Like I could have told her the exact same thing with a raised voice on the street and it would have meant nothing. People would have just been like, oh, look at this crazy bitch yelling at Caitlyn Jenner. It's like, yeah, but she's what she's saying is valid. Totally. But she's delivering it in a way that makes it seem like she's unhinged. So it's like when you are a truth teller, the the real base of being an outspoken person that has not just the ability to speak, but that has the cognizance to speak um, effectively is that you have to know when and where. It's literally just like there's a time and a place for everything. So when we have tactlessness, that's just tacky. Lack of tact is just tacky. And people don't really understand this these days because we have created an environment with the internet where you can say whatever you want, to whom you want, whenever you want, without consequence. And so the concept of tact and couth is a dying art. And it shouldn't have even been an art. It's literally just like civility. You know, but then you have folks who are like taking that the wrong way, who are trying to insert tact in a place where like it's not helpful. When I hear, you know, folks like Bernie Sanders and other politicians being like, well, you know, Sarah Huckabee Sanders should be able to go eat where she wants without reproach. It's like, okay, why does she deserve that freedom when she's taking other people's freedoms away? I mean, at the far as I'm concerned, she's in a public office. She's representing people in public office. And really anybody in public office who is demeaning their constituency or any of us as Americans deserves to be told whenever they see, (laughs) whenever they're in public, how the public feels. And when we say like, oh, well, she should be able to eat in peace. It's like, then stay home. Stay home because you are disrupting many Americans peace on a regular basis. Even if I am not Latino, even if I don't have any family at the border, et cetera, like that's a real thing that's happening. Even if you don't have any connectivity to any of the decisions that these people are making, you still have to hear about it every fucking day unless you deserve to live in a bubble and be like, oh, I don't got to worry about anything because all this stuff is so negative and I just don't want it to bother me. Like that's where a lot of folks are coming from. You know what I'm saying? That are not letting this stuff hinder them. They're just like, I don't want to know information. But if you do want to know information, then these people are absolutely disrupting your peace. So why do they get to have peace? And honestly, it's like, even if I do say to you in a restaurant... Hi, Sarah Sanders. I consider you to be a liar and a tyrant to the American civil liberties. And I think that you really should no longer be in your position. So me saying that to her, right? Some people would say like, that's mean. That's insulting. 
it's like, well, that's just accurate about what I feel. And to me, it's like, I got to see her being a complete lying ass, ridiculous person on a daily basis. So she gonna hear me for a matter of one minute. Okay. So I feel like, you know, we have to take a look at like when we're misusing things, because then some people, like I said, they'll misuse being a truth teller for being like, well, well I, I just tell the truth whenever I want to, to whoever I want to, nobody can tell me shit. shit. And it's like, yeah, that can also be another case of when keeping it real goes wrong. And I have a feeling when we get to DMTs, there'll be questions about that because there is absolutely something I call refined rage. And, you know, it's like, you know, people that have all of this rage, rage, rage. And it's like, how can, especially if you're like a black person in America, oh my God, if you're a black man in America, if you're a black woman in America, like you're just riddled with rage. You're dealing with microaggressions. It's like the kinetic suit in um, Black Panther. You know, like we are basically wearing, our bodies are like kinetically receiving the energy of negativity that's coming on a daily basis to black people based on racism, et cetera, et cetera. And I feel like when we blow up or we act out or you, you know, have a ridiculous fight with the person you're seeing for no goddamn reason, it's like you have literally just had like a kinetic explosion from all of the negative energy that you have like received into your body armor and are expelling only to receive more. You know, as, as, as our engineer suggested, it's like a containment fallout. You know, it's like a nuclear fallout. Like the shit just is like, meh, 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 meh. Explode. Microaggressions. Overload. Overload. In three, two, one. And then, like Snoop Dogg and Skullduggery and C-Murders Fuck Them All The Niggas comes on it's like... And it's like the world is ending. Like wrestlers like appear larger than life. It sounds crazy, but like this is what it feels like. You know, this is what it feels like. So I understand why some people are like, nah, I just got to tell the truth. I got to tell you I can't hold it in. You got to refine it. You got to refine the rage. That's I've talked about it before. I'm saying it again. Tactlessness doesn't help anybody. A lot of times it's really based in ego. It's based on somebody having a careless idea about like the other person's feelings and a lack of self-awareness. And self-awareness is incredibly key if you're going to live amongst people, especially if you're going to raise people, especially if you're going to date people. You have to have self-awareness. You have to make a choice to say like, okay, I'm going to be conscious about how I exist in this space. And like, I know some somebody who I've had to work like really, really, really hard on that because I feel like, you know, for a long time, it's like you're just moving the best that you can in the world. And it's like self-awareness just feels like this whole other extra layer to add on to like just trying to survive or just trying to like reach your purpose that you're like, damn, it's a luxury to get to be self-aware. You know, like our parents, especially if you come from immigrant parents, they don't know shit about being self-aware. They're like, I'm trying to get a self-passport so I can be in this country legally. You know, so when we like, you know, we'll get like all into meditation and shit and you're just like, my mom just lacks self-awareness. It's like, well, you're going to be upset about that for a long time because that's just wasn't top of her list. She was just trying to make sure that you got through college without getting on the pole. Okay. So I just feel like it's important though to consider that like tactfulness is not, any, it's not about being controlled. Tactfulness is not about being polite. That's clear. It's important for me to make that distinction. It's not about being less of yourself. It really is simply about being respectful and mindful of the situation. And honestly, it's about being careful with how you're delivering your energy. And when you're tactful, you are being strategic about making sure that when you are speaking out, it is not speaking into an ether 
but it is speaking into a purpose. We're serving it. All right. That felt like it got kind of deep. Yeah. 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 Because it's personal to me. Because I'm a very outspoken person. I think some people would be like, oh, man, you have no filter. And it's like, I absolutely have a fucking filter. I just don't have the same filter as you. Because a lot of people's filter is based in fear. I talked about this on my first Breakfast Club interview. A lot of people's filter is simply based in, like, I don't want people not to like me. You know, or I, you know, I don't want to lose my job. Or, you know, I don't want to incur, you know, a backlash that I have to deal with. Because I don't really want to fucking have to deal with it. Like, that's a lot of people's... Um, filter. My filter is based on just like, is this effective? You know, like, does it make sense for me to say this right now? Sometimes I get it wrong. (laughs) But, you know, I'm getting better at getting it right. And, you know, like just trying to be cognizant of like, okay, is this the best delivery? I think I'm way better at it in my personal life than in my professional life. But it is like a real thing. And like the filter that I have is like, what I'll do, like, interviews, it's so funny. Like, I'll be seeing somebody and then, like, they'll tell me, like, that, that, that someone has said to them that, oh, you're seeing Amanda Seals. Like, wow, she sounds like a lot. And it's like, do you think I'm talking to the person? Like, I talk on my Instagram rants? Like, do you think that's how I'm, like, rolling over in the morning? Why do you think that? That's so silly. But what's not silly is these, these DMT questions. So let's get into it. How do I, as a black woman, balance my authenticity and values with my professional goals and aspirations that intersect with men in white America? For example, having a male boss who jokingly or passive-aggressively makes a comment about my work ethic rooted in ignorance. I mean, I think the workplace is always a very, like, like, tenuous place for delivering your outspoken thoughts, right? Because every workplace is different and the rules are different in every workplace and just kind of like the leadership and how they deal with things and how they react to things is different. So it's very nuanced and you have to decide like how much of that you want to bother to learn or if you want to just be like, you know what, I'm going to just keep it in my head and I'll vent about it after work. You know, like that's the kind of choice you have to make. Is it a manageable working environment Or is it like, if I don't say something, like, I'm going to explode one day? And I think that's something that a lot of people deal with, especially when you're in a work environment like this this person seems to sound like they are. Because, you know, when you feel like you have superiors that are already ignorant, you're like, well, what's the point of me even speaking up or out to them? Because they're probably not going to be receptive, you know, or they may just be... Um, dismiss. They may just be dismissive, or even worse, they may be reactionary in ways that cause you issues and problems. Which is, which is, of course, the opposite of what you are trying to do. Which is, you're really trying to get somebody to like stop doing what they're doing because it's causing you issues and problems. You know. So, I say all that to say that um, if you do decide, like, no, I gotta like fucking handle this, man, you gotta become like a sleuth. With, with the individuals that you're around in terms of determining, like, how do they deal with conflict? You know, like, are they receptive to, ch- to challenge? Are they receptive to um, correction? Um, and then what type of receptive, what type of correction are they receptive to? You know, like, do they, what, what is the level of respect that they have for you? You know, like, these are the kinds of things that you have to, like, consider in a workplace because this shit is like playing chess, B. Like, it's pure strategery. Strategery. 
and you know you have HR you know you just got to find out like what's what is the most effective way to get to this person because for some people it's like they may not even listen to you but if you go to HR then they're like oh shit maybe fuck maybe I was fucking up you know whereas other people like if you go to HR they may be like oh what you join HR on me oh okay okay negress okay so you got to kind of do your personal like um, forensics uh, with the situation to determine what would be the best mode of action for you. But the realist overall heading of that is that, you know, you just want to not feel like you're victimized at work. You know, you don't want to have to deal with the microaggressions or the aggression aggressions, the macroaggressions at work. And it can really feel like that when you are not... Um, able to speak up the way you want to. And I understand that a lot of people are listening are like, I definitely work at a job where I cannot speak up the way I want to. And it's driving me crazy. And the only two suggestions I have for that are, you know, speak up or get another job. Not that there's like a bunch of jobs out there to get. Next question. What are your self-care plus resiliency practices for being outspoken, direct, and sensitive. Ooh, this is a cancer question. Because we can dish it, but we cannot take it. Nope. I mean, listen, I recently was, like, told, like, yo, like, why do you get upset when someone tells you, like, when someone tells you the truth, like, and you, like, say it's mean? And I'm like, yeah, no. It's not that I say that you're being mean by telling me the truth, but I feel like it's, like, sometimes, like I said in the gem drop, and it's like, it's when you're telling the truth and how you're telling the truth. And I know that it it sucks because I have the problem of doing this to other people. <laughs> so I know like this could be done better because I've been told that I need to do this better. So let's all agree. Um, but I think that my self-care with that is really just like, I've, I mean, I just continuously work hard to like not take things personal. <sighs> That's that's a doozy. Because, I mean, if you have a certain level of narcissism at all, you're going to be like, this is about me. And it's like, no, it's really not. Like, it's never really about you, to be honest. Um, but it's also just like, even if it's not, quote, unquote, taking it something personal, it's internalizing. You know, I feel like a lot of us, like, when... Um, when we're outspoken about things, you know, we're just putting it out there. And when um, someone else is outspoken to us, we just like take it all in here. And then you're like literally, it's like you're swallowing a fucking tornado. And it's just internally like, <sighs> there's chairs flying around, Dorothy and Toto, you know, and it's like all inside of you. And you like, you just took in someone's tornado, like expel that shit. So I think the self-care for me is, is like working really hard to like not take in like stuff. And in terms of like being outspoken, it's also like the self-care of making sure that I'm being tactful and making sure that I'm saying things that I would always stand behind. Because that's the other doozy. It's like, yo, don't just be out here being outspoken, quote unquote, call yourself outspoken. But then when people challenge you on it, you're not going to stand up for yourself or you're not going to be able to defend yourself. Like folks get on, get on me on Instagram because they're like, whenever people disagree with you, you get nasty. And I'm like, because for the most part, whenever people disagree with me, they feel the need to try to undermine my point by saying 
saying something that makes it seem like I don't know what I'm talking about or that I'm, or they try to be insulting. Like you can disagree and just disagree, you know, but you don't have to try to dominate the conversation. You don't have to try to like limit or diminish the, my point in order to make your point. And that's when I get annoyed. Like someone the other day when I made a, a comment about Drake's album and I say, you know, that it really is very like, um, lacking in audio sensory variants. I feel like it's just kind of blah. It's very flat. And someone was like, well, if you knew about 3-6 Mafia and Tennessee hip hop, then you would know that what he was really doing was paying respect to the trap music of Tennessee. And it's like, so basically in order for you to disagree with me, you felt the need to, to, to make an assumption about my level of knowledge about an entire genre of music and to suggest that my, what I'm saying is no longer of merit because I don't know about this and therefore didn't reference it. And it's like, that's not necessary. Just a side note, by the way, uh, DJ Paul from 3-6 Mafia produced one record on Drake's 20-track album. And that does not make it a tribute to Memphis trap music. Let's also point out that trap music was started in Atlanta by T.I. with the album Trap Music. Now, of course, the style has changed, but that is where the term trap music was originated. So let's all just simmer down and and cut it. Cut it. But. As I was saying, when it boils down to it, um, I think the real fact of the matter is that my self-care comes in trying to, like, be tactful so that I don't have to constantly, like, be defensive and be, like, you know, explaining myself. And also just, like, trying to gain a thicker skin by not taking things personal, by not internalizing things. And simply just only speaking about things that I truly have a passion for, you know, and that I truly care about and that I know about. Because the reality is is that, like, people are going to challenge you and people are going to question you. And you're going to have to say something about it, especially if you're a public figure like myself. When you do interviews, people are going to bring that shit back up. And you don't want to feel like, oh, we're talking about this again. You don't want that feeling. So, because that's just exhausting. So let's, um, let's get into this last question. Why do people think because you're outspoken, you're angry? That's a great one. I mean, I think that volume uh, has an effect. I mean, listen, like, I've dated somebody where, where, like, when they are in their outspokenness, it sounds like they are chastising you. And it sounds like they are really, like... (laughs) yelling at you and they're just like being very passionate about what they're talking about oh you know what that is also amanda seals like i will be like passionately talking about something and people think i'm angry and it's like i'm not angry i'm just like expressing my feelings in a way that is very like sure-footed and um convicted now the key though is that if you can't if you don't let someone else get a word in edgewise then it does come off like completely angry, right? Because that's the whole thing. You have to still, even if you're gonna be passionate, you still have to be able to be open for the for the discussion. You still have to be able to be open for the retort. The problem is, is that when you're talking like that, people don't want to retort with you. People are scared or they're just like done or they're annoyed or they're angry. 
So I feel like that's part of the reason, like, why it comes off as angry because, you know, anger is is fueled by a certain level of fear. It's also fueled by rage. And when you are speaking outspoken and passionately about something, like, you are, for all intents and purposes, you are coming from a place of, like, I, I don't, don't like, like this. this. <laughs> or, like, I, I really like, like this. this. And I, I want, want you motherfuckers to know. Um... But I think the other level of it is, like, even if you're not yelling, even if you're just outspoken in in the fact that you're just, like, delivering the facts, people think that it's angry because there's something that's, you know, we've all heard it, that says the truth hurts. So they're like, well, you wouldn't hurt me unless you were angry with me. Like, you wouldn't attack me unless I somehow made you angry. And it's like telling the truth is not always an attack. You know, I mean, it depends on when you're saying it and when you're doing it. And how you're doing it. And and largely in part on if it's even the fucking, fucking truth. So there's that. But, you know, one of my favorite quotes that I saw on a meme. <laughs> I love when I quote memes. It's not a person. It's not literature. It's just a meme. And it said, um, I'm not angry. I'm just smart. We have now entered the realm of side effects of being outspoken. Yes. With our guest, with our guest, Levy. And, and see, I'm not going to mispronounce your name like Granada. So pronounce <laughs> it for me properly. Don't make me laugh. <laughs> <Stop>. <laughs> oh, my God. Amanda is a fool. Yes. <laughs> Last here. name, proper pronunciation. Ajayi. Ajayi. That's right. So... Lovey, um, here on, you know, the small dose side of this convo, like we always have two segments with guests and that is people I like. And that is that one time. And on people I like, I literally only interview people I like. That's yes. the only criteria. So like my mailman, like if he does my mail deliveries on time, like really well, he might make it onto the podcast. Like, so, <laughs> but like Lovey, you guys need to know. So just on some basic raps, like. Lovey has a blog that went from just being literally like a blog to like people's daily dose of insight, of jokes, of information. Awesomely Lovey is the blog, which has led to the book, I'm Judging You, which has led to you being a New York Times bestseller. Yes, indeed. Which has led to you being at Oprah brunches and whatnot, (laughs) you know, and, um, and also here we are with Rancid Randomness. And what I love about you is you are somebody who does something that I have aspired to do, which is you have managed to make your moguldom, your multimedia platform experience out of your unique voice. Yes, indeed. It ain't. And like, you know, like there's a lot of folks that feel like they're talking and they feel like they're saying stuff, but they're not able to do that. You're able to do that because you are so genuine and authentic and most importantly, thoughtful in how you present your information. And like, I remember the first time I read your blog and I was like, there's another funny broad out here to be knowing things. (laughs) Yes. And, you know, so it was dope for me to, like, over time get the opportunity to connect with you and to build with you and, you know, just see, like, how here's another example of somebody 
who has stuck to their guns and mm-hmm. stuck to their point of view and been able to like see that flourish. So can you just tell us like what even made you, I know you've answered these questions before, but for my audience who doesn't know, like what started Awesomely Lovey? Yo, like I started blogging in 2003 when I was in college. And back then, where did like, you go to school? I went to University of Illinois in Urbana-Champaign, so I'm a fighting Illini. What up? All right, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> so yeah, I started blogging then, but back then, like my blog was just about like college life, exams I wasn't studying for, who I was beefing with, roommate issues. It was terrible. So when I graduated in 2006, <laughs> I was like, you know what? I ain't got no more college life to talk about, so I'm just talk about the world and what's happening and TV and any randomness I feel like talking about. So I started awesomelylovey.com in August 2006, and that's where it kind of, yeah, the jump off. And when did you feel like, oh, we've turned a corner? Like, awesomelylovey.com. Because, you know, when you start these things, a lot of times it's like we're just doing it for ourselves. You know what I mean? And then there's, like, a point where it's like, oh. Yo, like, I wasn't supposed to be a writer. I wasn't supposed to be a writer. I thought my blog was just a cute Uh. hobby. I was supposed to be a doctor. That's what my immigrant story was supposed to be. Yes. What kind of doctor were you going to be? Did you have a plan? I was going to be a pediatrician. Because I wanted to help help little kids. Because I was like, adults, I don't really know if I like y'all. But kids, Yes. So I ended up getting my degree in psychology, though, because I realized I don't like hospitals. So me as a doctor wouldn't work. So, um, right. yeah, I thought my whole career was going to be go to grad school, get master's in industrial organizational psych and practice. That never happened. I ended up in marketing because I did an internship that I really liked. And when I graduated, had a full time job, but I was blogging at nighttime. Um, 2010, I got laid off my full time job. And that's Ooh. the last time I had a full-time job that was not me working for myself. What was the full-time job? I was marketing coordinator for a nonprofit in Chicago that taught other nonprofits how to use social media to tell their stories. So, oh, yeah, yeah. So it did end up feeding into... It did. It did. Because everything that I was doing for my full-time job, when I got laid off because of budget cuts, I was like, well... While I look for another job, I'm going to just do this for other bloggers or small business owners. So I was teaching people, like, how to use social media. And that's really how I got deep into uh, digital strategy work, which I still do. Um, It all fed my blog, though, because I knew how to market my blog. I knew how to promote it. But really, it was about the content. How did you know how to market and promote your blog? I Was Was that what you... Girl, I joined Facebook in July 2004. Facebook started in February 2004. I joined Twitter in 2000. Wow. Yeah, I was like in the second round because they did Harvard, they did Ivy Leagues, and they opened it up to Big Tens. So I literally joined Facebook July 12, 2004. Um, oh, my gosh. Yeah, and I've been on Twitter since September you were 2008. On it. I was on it. And I was the person who, I was just like, you know what, hey, friends. When Elijah finally started doing statuses, I'd be like, hey, friends, I wrote a blog post. Check it out. Back when right. it was, <laughs> yeah, and people got used to hearing that from me. So one person will read my blog and they'll share it. And I remember one day reading my blog where I was like, "Oh man, I have twenty comments and I don't know any of these people." Wow. Okay. That's when you start seeing. What is it that you? So in doing that though, I think that when you realize like, okay, people are paying attention, it forces you to think like, okay, but why? You know, you know, I tr- I tried not to worry about it. So I won, mm. uh, in 2009, I won the Black Web Blog Awards for Best Humor Blog in the popular category. Nice. And I was like, oh, y'all think my blog is popular? Oh, that's cool. But the one thing I've never done is worry about who is reading my blog and allow it to change my voice or my content. I've never, I write, sim- like I approach writing just as I did 10 years ago. The only difference is I feel more responsible 
for yeah. what I'm writing. But how I approach writing, I still mostly write for myself. Like, I, mm. I tell people, because they always ask me the question of, like, oh, my God, how did you find your voice? Yeah, I always course. tell people I never had to find my voice. It was always here. We never have to find our voice. We just happen to have buried it so deep, we don't even know where it's at no more. So, But have you been able to define it? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, honestly, I tell people, like, I write like I think, like my stream of consciousness, but more organized. So my voice is truly yeah, that's me. that's exactly, yeah, it is. When you read... When you read, you know, I'm judging you, you hear your narrative voice. Yes. And that is the big, best compliment people give me is when they say, like, I actually know you in real life. And when I read your work, I hear your voice. That means the person that I am in real life is not different from the person that's shown up online, in books, on podcasts, whatever. How important was that for you? Because I know that's something that's really mattered to me that, like... I had a persona that is my actual persona so that I don't have to. Some people like the the separation, but I like just being me at all times. I would have quit writing by now if I had a persona that was different from mm-hmm. who I am because it would have made writing that much difficult. If you have to come up with a different voice from what yours is to write every day, I wouldn't be writing every day. Like, I'd been like, well, this has been great, you guys. Um, I'm just going to go uh, be a nice secretary and do some good work there. <laughs> Because I think it just makes it so much harder, which is why when people say, like, I have a hard time writing, you're thinking too hard. You're thinking too hard sometimes. I know, but it's, it is hard, loves. Trust I mean, your I've voice. been having a hard time. I've been having a hard time writing just because I feel like it's not, um, like, I'm in, like, a business marketing mode right now for mm-hmm. the tour, which is just a different space than when I'm, like, writing the book. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm in, like... I just have like a, a different hat on. But yeah. you seem to be very gifted at making sure that those hats are are I got I gotta I gotta have a, a lovey session because yeah. people always ask me like, oh, how do you wear all these different hats? And it's like, I mean, I, I do it, but I feel like I could be better at it. And I think what it's been great to see you kind of seamlessly intermingle, like you said, like being able to market your blog at, at the same time that you're writing and it doesn't feel like you're using two different sides of your brain. No, and it's important for me to use the same type of my like same side of my brain. Even when I was marketing my book, I was still using the same voice that was talking about racism. I was still using the same voice that's talking about why like Pink Starburst is my favorite. It's because in everything that you do, it's an extension of you. There really is no separation of church and state. So even when I was marketing my book, I didn't think about marketing my book as like, hey you guys, buy I'm judging you. That was not my tactic. That wasn't like, hey my book is I told the story of everything about the process as a way to keep the book in people's heads. So they had no other choice but to be like, I keep seeing this book everywhere. Now I really want to get it from FOMO. So I think um, that's the one thing, if I could give you a quick tidbit, is when you finally finish your book and you're marketing it, just bring people into the process. People want to know what's behind the scenes and who this person is. They buy you, not the book. So they, they're putting money in your pocket. They're not necessarily thinking, I'm buying her book. It's I'm so, supporting Amanda. Mm. Y'all should know that, like, Lovey is the person who tipped the scales with me writing the, yes! my book. Like, because like, people were like, all right, the book. And Lovey is the one who I ran into her at the Roots Picnic. And she was like, you need to get this app. You need to get yep. this app. Yep. And you need to set aside this time. You need to do this consistently. And, like, that. I cannot thank you enough for like imparting that wisdom to me, even in passing. Cause it also was just like dope 
to have a sister who, you know, for all intents and purposes, like a business acquaintance, you know, like you were this person that like we'd see each other online or in passing, but it was like, it was great to just be able to connect in a genuine way, in a supportive, like encouraging way. And you could sense that there was no sense of like, concern about well would, if her book comes out is it gonna like you know challenge mine or, like because that's not the point it's not you know like and i feel like sometimes we get in each other's way we get in our own way when we like make competition where there should be so, like sisterhood and support you know what's funny what people, you know the, the people are short-sighted in that they don't realize that like when one person looks like you wins it actually does help you also win like I tell people now that when my book came out in 2016, when I got my book deal in 2015, the only other book that I had to compare it to in terms of when you're writing your book proposal, you have to put comparative titles. There's a section called comparative. I put yours. I put yours. Yeah. Good. Good. That's actually going to help because (laughs) the only black book I could put, black girl book I could put down was, no, I couldn't even put Issa's down because Issa's came out the, the week that I started shipping out my proposal. So Issa's didn't ah, even count. So it hadn't gotten numbers yet. It hadn't yet, gotten yeah. numbers yet. So I couldn't put any black girl's book in the... Because every other black girl, I'd say, hey, put this person's book. My agent would be like, no, nah, their book didn't nah. sell well. Y'all, like the amount of black... And I think about now, part of the reason why I insisted on having my book be a success is because I had a hard time um, getting a book deal harder than I should have. Because at that point, I'd been writing for a long time. I had a huge following. I took a lower advance because I realized... And because they thought my mm. book was too risky, like publishers thought my book was too risky. So I was like, OK, this is the prove yourself book because yep. you have like you call on smart, smart, funny and black prove yourself toward this to prove yourself book. And I said, yeah, I know I received lower than I'm worth for this, but it's because I have a point to prove and a job to do because I wanted to make it where the next black girl who's going out to go get her book out. They won't say your book is too risky. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to make sure. What were they saying was risky? Was it the fact that your voice is, you know, in that? Because, you know, I'm judging you as a book about basically calling people out on their shit. Yeah. Um, I think it was too is risky. Is that what because, they felt was risky? No. I think it was risky because I was a black girl who was young and a blogger writing a book. Mm. And and publish, uh, the publishing industry needs to see an example before they think it's going to be successful. But if there's no example, then how do you see the example? So I was like, well, I got to be the example. So You took the L for us? I took the L, B. I took the L. You took the L I took the L for the culture, yo. I took the L for the culture. I did. Yeah. I did. And I said, I was like, this book. I sent you an edible arrangement, yo. I was like, this book got to do so well that anybody who passed on it is actually mad they passed on it. Like, the way I was so motivated, because I was like, I need you to be so mad that you passed on this book. My book has sold 86,000 copies. Say it again. Say it again. How many copies your book done sold? 86,000 copies. Okay. 86,000 copies. And She's the, like J. Cole out here platinum with no features. Ma'am. ma'am. And the average book sells less than 5,000 copies. I outsold the celebrity average memoirs. Book sells, shut the fuck up. Yes. The average book sells less than 500 copies, 5,000 copies, yes. and you sold 86,000 yes. copies? My book has you gone better. to print 13 times. Like, they've had to go back to the printers 12 times to be like, oh, we need more copies. Like, so I proved my point. Yo, well, we thank you, all of us out here that are trying to write these books and, you know, continue to add to the canon of black women's voices in the literary space. Thank you and appreciate you because that is so selfless of you to, you know, take that L and take that position. I mean, it's 
it's about being a visionary. And I think that's the uniqueness about being so outspoken and being able and trusting your voice. And that's what it makes being outspoken um, so important is that you have to be able to understand that the things that you're saying and where you're saying them and why you're saying them may not be understood by everybody at that time. But yep. but you understand that there's value and you believe in it in a way that sees beyond it. Now, what I think is interesting, though, is that, like, I know somebody listening. I know somebody in that exact moment of what I just said is like, well, then why are you knocking Kanye? And it's like, because there's a difference between being outspoken and a difference between being sp- speaking out of turn. Yeah. And speaking out of turn is speaking without acknowledgement of consequence. Yeah. And without information yep and i just i'll never see you doing that and also if speaking being outspoken is not an excuse to just speak against my humanity like yeah people think about like you have to speak the truth you do however if the truth that you're speaking is hateful or actually telling somebody else that they're less of a person than you then your truth is not valid and i firmly believe that like that's what people get wrong here is being the person who's a truth teller, being outspoken, being fearless is not just about speaking anything out loud. It's not just like spewing random shenanigans. No, like you have to do it for the greater good. And what Kanye was saying and why Kanye got so much backlash is what he was saying was not for the greater good. Who he was supporting is not for the greater right. good. And we are not obligated to give that any type of props. No. No, there's never an obligation I think people are very tempted these days to just give props for people speaking and it's like okay like I know there is something to be said for like getting over like maybe your introvers- introvertedness or you know your shyness but also it's like you gotta bring value to the space that, that one time, time. <laughs> so let's get into our next segment that one time <laughs> and yes. on that one time we share a story that's that uh that speaks to our experience. I wanted to know if you have any stories related to being outspoken that either are of are of triumph or like you being outspoken and then having to put your foot in your mouth. Um cuz I know I feel like I have definitely had my share of like being outspoken and then having to defend myself or having to use being outspoken to defend others. Um, so in the meantime, while you're thinking of one, I will share a little, to- a little tale. We said earlier in the podcast, you were asking like, you know, what did I always want to be? And I mentioned that I wanted to be the first black female president of the United States of America. So when I was in third grade, I told Ms. Gill, that I want to be the first black female president of the United States of America. Now, she had went around the class, and everybody said, you know, the regular fare. Firefighter, teacher, lion. You know, someone always <laughs> wants to be an animal. There's always somebody in the class that's like, I'm going to be an alligator. It's like, it doesn't work that way, unless you are the mascot for the University of Florida. Go Gators! Um, but, da, 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 go Gators! So, um... So I said, first black female president of the United States of America. And she looked at me with such disdain, like you little black bitch. And then she went so far as to write on my report card, Amanda is overconfident and needs to pursue more realistic goals. Overconfidence? 
Yes, I was eight, and I was considered overconfident. I what? to me, overconfident is only like if you are exuding a confidence that does not support your ability to to actually bring things to fruition. I'm eight, so we have already now shut down my ability at eight, Yo. which speaks to also the preschool to prison pipeline and the prison industrial complex and how they basically build private prisons based on squ- test scores. But that's another show. Um, <laughs> So I wanted to know if you have any stories related to our side effects of being outspoken theme. Yo, yes, 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 indeed. So last year, um, I do a lot of speaking engagements around the country. I had 50 speaking engagements last year. So I get an invitation to speak at a conference in Amsterdam, a tech conference, huge tech conference in Amsterdam. And I forwarded them to my manager and was like, hey, talk to them, you know. So my manager hits them up and is like, yo, you know, here's Levy's speaking fee. It's going to include, you know, also you will be doing first class traveling accommodations, all this good stuff. They sent me an email back that said, well, they sent her an email back that she forwarded to me that was like, oh, no, we're only offering exposure for Lovey. <laughs> exposure. First of all, I'm exposed, which is why you know who I am. I'm already exposed. Like, goddamn, I'd be naked if I got more exposed. I was like, I'm straight. <laughs> So they were like, yeah, no, we don't really pay teachers. I mean, we, we don't pay speakers. I said, okay, cool. So I'm part of this um, list of, like, powerful women in business and tech and media. And I sent out an email. I was like, has anybody ever been asked to speak at this conference? Is it true that they don't play, pay speakers? Within 15 minutes, like, 10 women to come back. Like, oh, I just did research on that. One of my boys spoke there. He got paid. They bought his books. All that. His travel got paid. Some woman was like, oh, I spoke there last year. They paid my travel at the minimum. And then I was like, oh, so I quickly realized that, like, the hierarchy was white men were paid to speak. uh, White women had their travel paid for. And black women were asked to pay their own way there. Like, so I said, you know what? Wait, white men were paid to speak. Yes. White women had their travel covered. Yes. Black women had to pay their way there. Yes. Right. Mind you, this is in Amsterdam, which is in Holland, which is the home of uh, Svart Pietz, you know, where they have like a literal like blackface parade. Right. Mm. So I was like, I had to make the decision of like, am I going to speak up about how unfair this is? Because if I speak up, it might I might take a hit on other conferences who want me to come speak. But I was like, I got to kind of I got to speak up because I've been speaking professionally for eight years at this point. I've been on some pretty big stages. If I can't speak up, then who can? So I was like, you know what? I'm going to have to take some of this L, too. If somebody doesn't invite me back, I'm going to have to take it. So I go on Twitter and I was like, yo, this conference that brings in 15 million euros every year wants me to pay my way there. Girl, people came out the woodworks to be like, yo, they happened to me, too. This conference is bogus. And then the uh, the guy who runs the conference sends an email because somebody who um, writes for Forbes saw my tweets and was like, I want to write about this. Do you want to go on record? I said, Ooh. yeah, sure. My agents were nervous. My agents was like, um, because, you know, if I don't eat, <laughs> they don't eat. But there was like, yeah. I was like, but I have to do this. I have to tell this truth because I'm yeah. in the position to do it. Yo, the email he sent said, I have to tell this truth. Because I'm in the position to do it. You better say a word. Yes, ma'am. This man sent me an email said, when we reply saying we don't have a budget for speakers, the whole unpleasant truth is that we need to prioritize whom we spend our limited budget on. And in this case, it's speakers that are perhaps more relevant to our audience. Then don't ask me to come speak. You mean speakers that aren't black, huh? Okay, that, that, aren't, that aren't white are more relevant. He, she said, he said, the conclusion is... 
based on factors such as knowledge, success, fame, and most importantly, demand. I hope you understand, based on what I explained here, that basically we can't pay you. Like, it was the most dog whistle. So, of course, Forbes also published that piece. I was going to say, did Forbes publish that? Forbes absolutely updated the piece to be like, hey, because he also sent it to me and the Forbes writer because he was so mad. Other oh, wow. speakers pulled out of that conference. Like, certain speakers. Nice! Yes. yes, yes. And now I would, like, I would never go. Like, so it's the, one of those times when I was like, yo, I was scared when I was going to speak up. I was like, y'all, this can actually impact my pocket for real. But I had but to But I think do what it. it ends up doing is it actually Im- impacts your pocket in a positive way, at least right now, because... Oh, listen, I had my, my most lucrative year last year, okay? Yeah. Like, people were like, yo, I saw, I saw the Forbes piece. We actually want you to come, and we people will actually pay you. People want the real. You. We will pay people you your fee. People need the real. Yes, they need the real. People want that, you know? And I think that's the biggest misperception is, like, people think, like, oh, no, you need to play it safe. And it's like, you just need to play it right. Play it right, play, play it real, the, and play it excellent. Play it yeah, like, play it right, play it real, and play it excellent. And, yes. and if you do that more often than not, like, you will excel. I mean, I think that there are going to be times where you do that and it, and people don't respond to it. And that's because it, them ain't your peoples. Yeah, but you I know? had to do it. So that was one time that I was like, yo, it kind of reinforced to me that the thing that we're always scared about the most, which is like, what are we going to lose? Might not happen. The thing that we are, we could possibly win, which is like putting this place on blast, giving them, putting them on pressure to make sure they're not paying black women nothing when they're paying everybody else everything. It's a win. It was a win. So, yeah. I'm over here just like smiling (laughs) in like such just like warmth and contentment because I feel like when like stuff like like conversations like this make me feel like I see the future. Yeah. You know, because like the work that you're doing and the just the words that you're even saying right here on this podcast, so many people are listening to them and are feeling inspired and encouraged to do this in their own daily lives. Yes. And when we when we when we have people that are willing to do that and that we 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 eradicate fear, you know, you start to when you eradicate fear, you start to encourage empowerment. Yes. You know, and that's when change comes on the other side of that. So yes. I just wanna thank you for being you and using your voice um, the way that you do. I think it, you know, when someone someone like me, like I feel like I get a bad rap because people be like, oh, you're so direct or you're so crass. And it's like, I'd be saying the same shit as you. I just say it in a different way. But it's like when I, when I know that there's a sister right there that's like saying the same thing, it's like it just helps the messaging to carry further. And um, and I know that it's coming from a good place. So I just want us to also get used to the fact that like just because we don't like how the message has been delivered doesn't mean it's not void. I mean, it's not it's not it's not valid. So valid. I thank you for continuing to speak your truth in a way that makes the most sense. And I watch your Insta stories. I listen to your podcast. I'm excited to be on your podcast and I'm cheering you on. I'm cheering you on. Um, Yeah. I cannot wait to have you at Smart, Funny, and Black in Chicago. In Y'all Chi-tia. come out to Thalia Hall. It's going down with Levy at uh, Smart, Funny, and Black. If you want to come to Smart, Funny, and Black, just go to smartfunnyandblack.com and you can check out our website. We have all the dates for all the shows right there in front of you. Very easy, very uh, user-friendly. Chicago is August 7th, so come on through. And um, please also go and purchase Lovey's book. They done printed it 13 times now. <laughs> so, you know, just add to the numbers. Go out there and get I'm Judging You. 
and um, and continue to listen to both of our podcasts, Ran- Rants and Randomness and Small Doses. And for all of you all who are Rants and Randomness listeners, I really appreciate you guys and I um, hope that you can yeah. take part in Small Doses. And all my Small Doses listeners, I hope that we just put you on to yes. some dopeness so that you can make sure to increase your intake of goodness and of a word from a sister. Yes. And actually, this is a this I love the fact that me and Amanda did a cross did crossovers on each other's podcast. So uh, shout out to the Small Doses audience. I hope y'all check out my podcast, Rants and Randomness, with Amanda, where I talk about... <laughs> Yo, Amanda is hysterical. This chick was over here dropping all the gems. So... I'm excited for her because her presence affirms mine. So, yeah, this is dope. <laughs> High fives from state to state. <laughs> this is We Have Used Technology for Good today. And um, y'all keep listening. You can follow Lovey where on Twitter? I am Lovey, L-U-V-V-I-E, on all the interwebs. Saying just one username all, the, all over the place. L-U-V-V-I-E. And I am Amanda Seals. A-M-A-N-D-A-S-E-A-L-E-S everywhere on the interwebs. Thank you all for listening and uh, stay strong, stay stay black and stay fiery. (laughs) The last dose. I want to thank Lovey for doing the show. I'm so glad that we were able to do this mashup. You know, make sure you go and check out Lovey's Rants and Randomness podcast to continue our con- to hear the continuance of our conversation. Um, you know, Lovey just is just a special person, and I feel like you know you got to hear a lot of how much I feel about you know just her and what she's doing during our People I Like segment. But I feel like I'm I'm really fortunate to get to be aligned with like women like Lovey and Angela Rye and Jamel Hill and Jamila Lemieux and you know. Um, just like our gener Simone Sanders, Demetria Lucas, like our our generation of sisters that are speaking about things in a real way on real platforms consistently, I feel very honored to be aligned with them and consider them my peers. Because being outspoken, especially as a black woman, has for so long been considered just like a real violent attack. I've said that before. They didn't even want us to read. So by being like well read and well educated and having the nerve to deliver that, it's like you are an actual weapon of mass information. Being a black woman is like you are a weapon of mass information. And we coming through just, you know, and it's Maxine Waters saying, if y'all want (laughs) to, y'all trying to shoot me, make sure the shit shoot straight. That's a paraphrase. But she is a incredible example of somebody who's outspoken and is like, listen, I'm going to say what needs to be said. If y'all want to come for me, come for me. I've been out here long enough. So even if I went down today, I'm already got a legacy for my family and, you know, a legacy of of being a truth teller. Come for me. Come for me. Come at me, bro. Now, I think a lot of us who are outspoken, like we're not necessarily trying to say come at me, bro. But by simply speaking outward, you send a come at me, bro messaging. And so you have to know that if you are outspoken, that you are going to incur those who are going to attempt to challenge you, those who are going to attempt to undermine you, those who are going to attempt to silence you. And I tell y'all, I, I feel like it don't matter how long you've been this type of person. When, when the shit happens, you'd be like, damn, why y'all doing that? You know, I get very frustrated with it. I get upset with it because I'd be like, I'm just speaking like things that we should know and talk about. Why are y'all trying so hard to shut it up? And it's because when you are outspoken, especially about things that need to be spoken about and that are the truth and that are on the right side of history, because don't get me wrong, outspoken can come from the wrong side as well. 
You know, like the right are absolutely just as outspoken as the left should be. The reason why 45 won the presidency is because they were outspoken about fuck shit. That's why he won. And I believe that if other folks who disagreed with that had been just as loud, we may have had a chance at silencing and drowning out the pure foolery, hatred, and discriminatory voices that were just echoing across the echo chamber of this country. But no, we decided that it was better to be civil and and silent and speak in soft tones. And sometimes that's just not called for. And it doesn't make you uncivil. It just makes you just as loud. (laughs) It's a good show.